Welcome to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henrik Russell. It gives me great pleasure to welcome again to Viewpoints, Alexandra Harwood, who's a British BAFTA Simra Award-winning composer whose films have screened worldwide. Most recently, Alexandra scored the new British seven-part drama, All Creatures Great and Small. Welcome again to Viewpoints, Alex Harwood. Thank you so much. It's great to be back. Oh, it's wonderful to have you back with us, and um, I know you've almost completed um, season two of the remake yeah. of All Creatures Great and Small. I've watched it. It's wonderful. Now, it's a remake, Alex, and as we were talking off-air, um, the approach to telling the story is quite different to the original. What difference did, uh, did, this, uh, did you bring to the musical score, given that it was such a popular series so many years ago? Yeah. Well, the first thing I'd want to say, just to kind of like um, make it kind of clear to people listening, is that, um, and this is really important to us as a production, directors, producers, we all wanted to make this really clear to people, is that actually All Creatures Great and Small was a, was a set of books written by a vet whose real name is Alf White, and he gave himself the fictional name James Herriot. That is the main protagonist of the stories. And that is what, so there were two movies made of those books before the series was made in the 1970s. So what we really wanted to make clear to people is this is not a remake of the series. It is another version of the books, a little bit like Pride and Prejudice is made into various movies and it's been made into TV series. Because this particular series is so different, obviously, to the original 1970s series. And it, and, and as you've seen, you can't compare them. They're completely different things. But one of the reasons they're so different is because it's based on books. It's not that we took the original series and said, right, let's remake it. However, having said that, obviously, we were in the shadow of the original series because so many people remember it and loved it, and a lot of people don't know the books. So, in fact, I had not read the books. I did when I got offered the job, but uh, and they're very lovely tales of animals and uh, and set in the dales, as is the series. But the thing that the second series did, and this is where it completely helped me as a composer write the score in its own kind of, let's say, unique way compared to that other series, is that they wanted to give, the writers wanted to give a back story to the characters. So that it, even though in the books you know the characters, that James Herriot is the bat and his wife-to-be becomes Helen and Siegfried's his boss and Tristan's is, is Siegfried's brother and Mrs. Hall is their housekeeper, these main characters do exist in the books, but their stories aren't really about them. It's all about the animals, it's about treating the animals, and it's all about being a vet. And in this series, all those animal stories are woven in, but really what they wanted to do was give a kind of depth to the characters, and particularly the female characters, because they were very, very kind of lightly dealt with in the original series. It was just really the main Siegfried, Tristan, and James in the original TV series. So... For me as a composer, that just absolutely was a gift because I got this depth of character and personal story. And it's one thing scoring a birth of a lamb or a sheep or, you know, well, that is a lamb. I didn't mean that. But you know what I mean? It's, it's one thing scoring baby animals 
and I've done plenty of that in my career. Um, but it is lovely to be given um, proper character stories. And when you first watch All Creatures Great and Small, especially season one, you know, one could say, I think the way they described it here in England was like a warm bath. It was very comfortable viewing. You know, people say it's not challenging, and that's probably true. It's very comfortable viewing, and it's lovely escapism. Um, but in series two, even though that's still true, it's really beautiful to look at, and really, but but the characters do evolve, and sometimes there's a little uh, a painful moment to experience, and disappoint their disappointments and their pains that they've got and people they're missing and loving and in the end it is a story about people as well as animals and I think that's why it touches so many people when they watch it because there is something to empathize with and musically that just gave me a whole bed to draw on plus looking at the Dales which is where it's set in Yorkshire because that in itself becomes a character really, because it's the backdrop, but it's also so central to the story. So for me, musically, I had all these things to draw on, and, and that's a real gift as a composer. Absolutely. Now, obviously, even though it's quite different, um, the shadow of the original series was there, mm. and uh, you would have heard external noise about that. What's been uh, the feedback you've had over the journey uh, in, in writing the musical score for... The, the the current yeah. uh, series? Well, so when I began on the series at the very, very beginning of last year, um, as a team, we all, you know, producers and directors and me, because there are three directors, but Brian Percival was our lead director. He he directed the book, the movie. And we, we all absolutely 100% talked very early on about what we wanted to do with the music to make sure it has its own identity, not to kind of reflect on the original TV series. Uh, there was no discussion that this was definitely going to be its own thing. And it's also very cinematic to look at, and hence the score was to be cinematic. In the uh, 1970s series, it's very kind of, you know, BB, old BBC of that period set in a room or two, just kind of simple piano score with a little bit of other stuff, but it's not cinematic in that way. So this score is ultimately orchestral. Um, so we discussed those kind of things. Uh, almost, I didn't really almost need to discuss it because it was so obvious when I actually watched it and I am writing to picture. But, but nonetheless, we had those discussions and the first thing we tackled for the first two months that I was on the project was the theme tune because there was talk about should we incorporate some of the original theme tune because it's an iconic theme tune that Johnny Pearson wrote. And actually, that old theme tune was a piece of library music that Johnny Pearson wrote oh. and it got picked up and used on the series and then he wrote the score for the series but it's for some people of a particular generation, kind of my generation and older, uh, this series was beloved. And on Twitter, well, I would look at Twitter when we were making the series and people going, oh, it's never going to be as good. And, <laughs> oh, you know, all, all this kind of tit tat. And then when the series came out, people really loved it and embraced it. And actually online were going, God, we were wrong. I mean, that's what was so lovely. So many people were sweetly... Um, transparent, going, God, I thought this was going to be terrible, and, and it's great. People really loved it, because it's so different, anyway. Mm. 
musically, though, we played for two months with that theme tune, and I had a couple of ideas I put down first, and they weren't quite what everybody wanted. And then um, they said, oh, maybe we should have a little bit of the old theme, and I slid that into various ideas. And uh, one day I was walking my dog, Brinkley, who's a golden retriever, my big love, and... uh, Oh, he's a beauty. And and I suddenly got this idea for a theme tune and I sang it into my phone, which is sometimes what I do when I'm out because I don't want to forget it. I sang it over and over in my head thinking, oh, yeah, that's sticking. Uh, and I got home, put it down and sent it off to them. This is like the third attempt, I think. And they went, yep, that's it. They Because they, they wanted something they could remember. And they all sat on it for a few days and went, yep, that's our, that's it. And then, and then came these discussions of, hmm, shall we put a little bit of the Johnny Pearson in there? And I, <laughs> every time I did a version for them, I would put a little bit of Johnny Pearson in from that point onwards. And I always tried to make it not very good because mm-hmm. I didn't want them to like it and I didn't want them to use it. And in the end, they all realized, because it's only 30 seconds, that title music. You can't really get two whole scenes in there anyway. There's not enough time. So in the end, very luckily for me, really, they they said, let's have your your theme tune. And that was all lovely and good. And I'm, I'm so pleased that they did. And for series two, um, well, so I'm just going to segue a little bit. When we did series oh. one, when I got to episode one, we had just hit the very first COVID lockdown. And... I so I couldn't record, and there were no rem- remote recording set up at that point. England was so severely locked down at that point; nobody could do anything. A little bit later, remote recording started cropping up, and things became a little bit more possible. But when we were doing all creatures, literally nothing. So it had to be samples. The, the album is samples. Uh, we had one live pianist for episode one. That was Dave Arch. And the title music, which I had to redo for season two, um, and a clarinet, Julian Bliss, was on episode one, and uh, episode one and two, and then that was it. That that's all we could do. And then I did samples. So we kind of amazingly were able to do it. Sample libraries these days are so good that mm. it, you know, it's not bad considering. But for season two now, I was able to do a little bit of recording. So we couldn't record live for every episode. But I could record the title music again with live strings and a few of the kind of key important cues I've been able to use across the series. So it's been a real gift to have live strings because, you know, there's nothing like it. No, absolutely. And it really helped the title music <laughs> massively. <laughs> massively. Yeah. Now, Alexander, we need to take a short break. When we come back, um, there's a personal quite uncanny connection story to um, All Creatures Great and Small and the life of Alexandra Harwood that I'd like to uh, chat with you about after the break. Can you hold the line? Yes. Welcome back to Viewpoints, listeners. I'm your host, Henry Grossick. In the middle of discussion with Alexandra Harwood, who's a BAFTA Simru Award-winning composer. All Creatures Great and Small is uh, is the current uh, musical score. She's writing the musical score for. Welcome back, Alexandra. Thank you. Thanks. Does anybody other than your mother call you Alexandra? Because um, <laughs> I know you respond to Alex, and parents have a yeah. way of expecting to always call their children by their full name. 
Well, that's funny. My parents, um, both sadly not with us anymore, but um, my mummy, um, well, all of them used to call me Ali, A-L-I. Oh. And I hated it growing up. I don't know why I hated it, by the way, but I did. And then when I turned 18 and left home, I became Alex immediately because I wanted to go back to the root of my name. And the the person who called me, my first, the first person who really called me Alexandra was my first composition uh, teacher, Joseph Horowitz, my first proper, proper oh, one yes. at the Royal College of Music. And I loved it. And he was from um, Vienna. So it just kind of sounded so kind of exotic and lovely when you say Alexandra, you know, and it all sounded very <laughs> kind of posh. Um, and then I was Alex, really. I have been Alex ever since. Anybody who knew me up to the age of 18 calls me Ali still, and I'm happy with that. And then, um, or Al, actually, I'm Al to a lot of people. And then Alex is my other name. But when I became a film composer, which really was only eight years ago, um, film and TV, when I switched from classical, um, really, I started as Alexandra. Then I decided to become Alex, thinking oh, maybe that's just a bit better with, you know, the ambiguity of whether I'm a male or female. And if anybody out there was sexist, they just won't know. I thought mm. it was safer. It was my first agent, uh, Maggie Rosford, who said it might be a good time to switch to Alexandra at that very moment. This is now like four years ago because things were beginning to change. And even though sometimes female composers, and I hate that term, by the way, because I'd rather just be a composer, yep. but nonetheless, the word female composer is around. And even if it means that we have to be labeled that way to, or chosen to tick boxes, which sometimes still happens, if it's called positive discrimination, then I'm all for it because anything to get it a bit more equal. I still, I think it is still 6% of uh, all composers on major films are women. It's a mm. tiny percentage still. And so um, if, yeah. Keep going. No, I was just going to say that if I am, if I get a job because I'm a woman, I'm okay with that because uh, if it gives us an opportunity that we wouldn't have got before and it's making people more aware to think about that choice when they make it, then that's fine. But I always worried that if there was a subconscious bias that people don't even know in themselves and that they don't really like working with women or they somehow think that perhaps we're not going to be as good. If that's a deep-rooted opinion, then I always thought Alex might be safer. But mm. I think nowadays maybe I shouldn't be worried about that and embrace the very fact that I am actually a it, woman, believe it or not. Absolutely. <laughs> it, it, it's sad that, that – that you have to even think along those lines, um, Alex. I know. Now, you're a member of the Alliance for Women Film Composers. Uh, what does that organisation yeah. do? I think they are really singing the song of women, you know, trying to support women composers, uh, making people aware of being a place. I mean, it's mostly based in America, so I can't really partake in it particularly. But it is there to embrace women composers and they do a huge amount to make people aware and you know uh put them online and speak about them and that it's a it's a kind of society for women composers and that and again you know one day i think it would be lovely that women and men can have been a society all together mm. <laughs> and, and there will be that and maybe that does exist but i think the alliance for women uh film composers is there to 
support women, promote them. They can't obviously make productions like directors and producers use a woman. And and you can't ever really prove why a production has chosen a man or a woman. You'll never because nobody would even admit it, even if it were a bias decision. I, I think things are really changing now quite positively, to be honest. And mm. you know, with Hilda winning the Oscar and there's there are many, many women emerging now. It's good. Absolutely. It's better. And that's a, a great thing. Now, now there, we mentioned before the break that there was a, an uncanny link between um, All Creatures Great and Small for which you wrote the, uh, writing the um, musical score and mm-hmm. something which has happened in your personal life. Would you like to elaborate? Yes, yes. Well, it, 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 it's a strange um, and lovely story for me um, that uh, I was single uh, for 10 years before... Uh, for the last 10 years-ish. And um, I uh, was writing a ballet two years ago called Geisha for Northern Ballet. It was a full-length ballet, and I was exhausted at the end of that year writing it. Um, But in August of that year, we found out that our local vet um, was leaving his practice, and it's a practice that he owned. And me and various other clients of his were devastated because he's a brilliant vet named Simon. And uh, I was just really, really sad. He was great and he was lovely to talk to. And I always felt he was a bit of a friend only because he was so easy to chat to. And I had a black lab called Millie and then we had a puppy called um, my dog now, Brinkley, who was this golden retriever. So as he was leaving, Brinkley needed to go see him and we said goodbye and I was really sad and then I thought well I'll never see him again because that's that I you know we weren't social friends and that was August two years ago three months later he emailed me out of the blue rather uh, kind of carefully worded asking me for a drink but I didn't know it was really a date Uh, because he worded it as if he needed some advice on teenagers because he had a teenage son and he knew that I had three grown-up kids. So I just thought, oh, well, it would have been nice if it were a date, but (laughs) I'll see him as a friend. So we went for a drink. It was really lovely. And then um, 10 days later, uh, my dog Brinkley had a bit of a problem that had been an ongoing problem during the, the summer. And There was an emergency one night at 10 o'clock and a friend of mine urged me to get in touch with him. So I felt like, oh, well, he's asked me for a drink, but I better actually contact him. So he was very, very sweet, said he would bring over some drugs and treatment for my dog the next day, which he did. And we went for a cup of tea after that particular moment. And I asked him about his early vet life. And he said he had trained at Liverpool University back back in the day. And had been kicked, he said, I was kicked out into the field. He said, a little bit like that old TV series, All Creatures Great and Small, mm. which I hadn't thought about since I was a kid. I grew up on that series in the 70s. So I said, oh, God, yeah, I remember that series. So we talked about that for a while. Two days later, my agent phoned me saying, Alex, uh, would you like to pitch for a series they're making a remake of All Creatures Great and Small? And I couldn't believe it. So I pitched for the series. I got the series. And Simon and I started dating. So I, for the last two years, I have been with Simon very, very happily. And I have been living with a vet and 
scoring a vet and scoring animals and hearing about animals from him every single day. I mean, honestly, <laughs> it's just been the most bizarre thing. That, but it was such a sign. I always think these things are like signs somehow. It's Yeah, it was wonderful. It's been really lovely. And I'll tell you another absolutely amazing thing that happened. Uh, also linked to this. Uh, a few months into our relationship, when I was already into the middle of uh, scoring all creatures, Simon said to me, oh, I wonder who the uh, vet specialist is that's helping them on all creatures. Because, they, because they're working with animals up in Yorkshire filming, they have to have a vet specialist to make sure that they're doing the correct storylines, the right procedures, all of that stuff. Mm-hmm. And I, I have a list of all the crew. And I looked up the name and I said, oh, it's Andy Barrett. Unbelievably. Andy Barrett was in Simon's university year at Liverpool in his class. And on top of Simon's, uh, in his bathroom, he had a a photo of his university year. And in that photo is Simon and Andy Barrett together. How bizarre is that? That's that's amazing. I mean, obviously you and Simon were... Well, I'm going to say doomed. You, you were, you, you were designed to meet. <laughs> doomed. And... <laughs> he might, he might think of it that way. <laughs> what, what, what does he think of your musical score for All Creatures Great and Small? Clearly, oh, well, clearly, you know he'd be what? positive. Well, one would hope. I mean, <laughs> I mean, the poor guy. He said to me early on that if you ever talk to vets of that generation, none of them would ever admit. And in the day when they were in the seventies, none of them would have admitted that they watched it. You would, you know, it was seen as that you you just wouldn't say I watch all creatures great and small because it was their profession and they they wouldn't admit to watching a program like that. But actually, Simon had grown up absolutely avid reader he is anyway. But he read all the books. He lived for the series. He knew it all inside out. So I was really, really nervous for him to see it because I was thinking, oh, my God, he's the most devoted fan of all. But, of course, bless him, you know, dutifully, I would say, he has watched it. And, honestly, I wouldn't know genuinely how much he actually really loves it or not because he's such a lovely person. He would (laughs) never tell me if he didn't. But he's a very, very lovely person to watch it, and he does watch it. And uh, I I watched um, the first episode of Series 2 with him last week. Tonight's the second episode here in the UK that's aired. So I'm finishing Series 2 whilst it's begun mm. um, airing. And, but I watched it I watched it with him for the very first time. I watched it with him, and it was so funny watching him react to the situations going on with the animals. And at the beginning, a cat meowed at the wrong time. And he said, "Oh, a cat wouldn't meow like that." <laughs> so it was, it was, it was funny. It made me giggle that he knew exactly what was correct and not correct. And uh, yeah, Sorry, it's it's yeah. good. Oh, that's yeah. just so wonderful, Alex. Well, um, I know you're um, always. Um looking to more work and you've got a project that may be on a big project coming up with yeah. a film cross fingers all of australia cross fingers for me yes we've got them you're a, you're a wonderful musical composer and uh, your work is just Thank sensational you. and as i said off air um i'll i'll never forget the guernsey literary and potato peel 
Pie Society, the, the most unusual oh, well title. I nearly didn't go to see that film. You did so well, Henry. <laughs> yeah, I've got it written down here in front of me. That's why. Uh, <laughs> I nearly didn't go to see it because of the title, and yet uh, I was so glad I, I did. And the music mm. there is, is wonderful. I wish you all the best in, in, in uh, musical scores for future films. Alex, once again, thank you thank so you. much for your time and the sharing of uh, so much of, of you with us on this interview. Oh, it's been a real pleasure. Thanks so much for having me. Sorry if I didn't talk about the music so much, but I am so pleased to chat with you. Thank you so much. My pleasure. That was Alexandra Harwood, an award-winning composer of, of many great musical scores, concerts, a whole range of eclectic uh, music uh, genres. We'll take a short break. Listeners, don't go away. Mm-hmm. 